Warning, this week's profanity contains a podcast. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Wix.com, Stamps.com, and by Blowjobs. Quite literally, the only thing he wants for Valentine's Day. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Uh, hey, Beavis. <laughs> Did you know that we, like, evolved from filthy monkey men? <laughs> no way, fart knocker. <laughs> That's cool. Valentine's Day. And if you just realized that, you are fucked. I'm No Illusions. <laughs> I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Kevin Spacey's New Jersey, <laughs> Cincinnati Swing State, and Good Husband Georgia, this is the Skating Atheist. You never run out of bad New Jerseyites. It's amazing. <laughs> nope. No, it's, it's always there. not going to happen. <laughs> On this week's episode, you'll remember that Edible Arrangements both exists and is terrible. That's not true. Donald Trump praises important <laughs> abolitionists like George Wallace. And Lee Strobel's book will turn out to have an ending after all. But first, the diatribe. You know, it's it's bad when they lie to you, but the effort they put into the lie matters. Like, there's a problem in my marriage if my wife's lying to me and sleeping with some other dude behind my back, and the less thorough she's being in her attempt to hide it, the worse it is. And it would pretty much be rock bottom if she stopped lying altogether and said, I'm going to go fuck Todd, there's a pizza in the fridge. And in case it's not already obvious, this week's diatribe is about the Supreme Court. So here's the thing about today's court. To, to hear them tell it, there's virtually nothing in this universe more important than religious freedom. They're so concerned with religious freedom that they've expanded out that definition to a hitherto undreamt of degree. They've concocted this ridiculous standard by which I can violate your religious rights by doing something to myself. See, for all of this nation's history up until five years ago, religious freedom meant, you know, this is a Jewish deli. You can't make me serve a ham and cheese. And now suddenly it means this is a Christian deli. You can't make me serve a Jew. You know, suddenly you have the religious freedom to not cover contraceptive care for your employees. You have the religious freedom to use tax dollars to improve your religious school. You have the religious freedom to not serve customers who violate your religion's dictates. These would all have been laughed out of any previous iteration of the highest court, and they know that. I'm not going to delude myself into thinking I know more about judicial precedent than Neil Gorsuch, but he doesn't mind lying about it, right? And as bad as this is, and it's really fucking bad, there is at least an upshot. Right, Because if, if you cloak your bigotry in a call for religious freedom, then at the very least, religious freedom should be safe. And that matters. I, I'm no fan of religion, but I'm a huge fan of religious freedom. If it wasn't for that, I'd have to find a real job. So the silver lining around this cloud of bigotry should be that we have no concerns about actual religious freedom being trampled on. 
You know, if you're going to sell yourself as an incorruptible crusader for religious rights as an excuse to do all the bigot shit you want to do, a desire for a convincing fiction should force your hand when actual religious freedom cases show up, shouldn't it? Well, as it turns out, no. Because they're barely even lying to us anymore. Meet Dominique Hakim Marcel Ray. Ray was convicted of murdering a 15-year-old girl some two decades ago and was sentenced to death by an Alabama jury. So, bad dude, not the hero of any story, but he's still a human being and deserves to be treated as one. Except that in addition to being a murderer, he's also a Muslim. And that caused problems. See, a Christian child murderer is afforded certain privileges by prison policy and state law, and among those privileges is the ability to have a faith leader at his side during his execution. Dominique Ray wanted the same thing. And I don't have a hell of a lot of sympathy for child murderers, and I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who need the correct magic words uttered over them, but I have a lot of sympathy for a terrified, dying man who wants something familiar close to him as he dies at the hand of a state that hasn't realized it's not medieval times anymore, which puts me one up on the folks running the prison, apparently, because they told him no. They said he could have the Christian guy that all the Christian murderers use, but it was that or nothing. Now, think about how little a religious person has to do to sympathize with this inmate, right? Even the faintest effort to try his shoes on, let alone walk in them, would do the trick. They need only imagine any situation whatsoever where they wanted a priest or a pastor or whatever. It doesn't even have to be the last moment they'll exist. They just imagine that moment and imagine being told, nope, you'll have to settle for this imam. And bam, they understand what's wrong with that. But of course, they have no desire to try on his shoes because they're all gross and Muslim. So when Ray's lawyer hears about this, obviously he's pissed. He files some papers, sends this up the judicial chain of command, and the 11th Circuit puts a stay on the execution while the issue gets sorted out. But Alabama needs to kill people quick. So they appeal that decision to the Supreme Court, the, you know, the one that's dedicated to protecting religious freedom that they're rewriting centuries of judicial precedent, and they vacate the fucking stay and pave the way for the imamless execution last Thursday. In this instance, there actually was a clear case of religious bias you know, Christians had one set of rights and Muslims had another, and the court couldn't be bothered to give a shit. Every American alive today has always lived in a world where Christians had more rights than people of minority faiths, but now they're codifying it. They're doing it under the auspices of religious freedom even, but at this point the court has all but admitted on the record that religious freedom is just a mask they're wearing. And once we all get used to living in a world where the laws on the books give more and better rights to Christian people who fuck the correct gender, the need for the mask will lessen, and pretty soon they won't even bother to lie to us anymore. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are two star-crossed lovers, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, going to start off knocking out one more vulgarity for charity donation this week. Teresa would like us to roast her boyfriend, Nick. Nick's a big fan of Star Wars novels and tabletop games, and I figured this would be a good Valentine's Day one, since in the biographical stuff she sent, she mentioned that they've been together for seven and a half years, but he won't marry her because he thinks weddings are, quote, an antiquated, overhyped, expensive tradition steeped in religious and patriarchal nonsense and therefore unnecessary, end quote. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, regardless of all that, Nick looks like the world's first incel with a girlfriend. Doesn't he? <laughs> it's because of an aggressive seven-year argument that's currently ongoing about the settlers of Catan. Very clear. <laughs> so respect is what I'm saying. Nick, Nick, buddy, let, bring it in. 
that overhyped, expensive tradition steeped in patriarchal and religious nonsense is a party to celebrate how much you love each other. <laughs> Bring your whole family Nerd. together and you dance and you eat food and you celebrate her. And she gets to wear a pretty dress and take photos with her grandma. Shit's not about you, bro. She learned, she probably learned the game root for you, which means you owe her. And Nick, I mean this from my heart. The only thing more hack than a wedding is the guy who thinks his woker-than-thou take on marriage is an excuse not to make his girlfriend really, really, really happy. Like, we finished <laughs> playing Pandemic Legacy Levels happy. All I'm saying, Nick, is it's Valentine's Day. And the sooner you step up, the sooner it will be too late for her to realize you look like you escaped from one of those labs that tests makeup on monkeys. <laughs> Hurry, <laughs> get an edible arrangement. Stick with it, Nick. You're doing great. It's a happy life. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and while Nick thinks on what he's done, we'll take a quick break for a word from our first sponsor this week, Wix. And that's my idea for later cheese. My goodness, kid, that's a million-dollar idea. How do I buy some? Oh, yeah, no problem. I got some in my car. Uh, I mean, do you have a website or something I could look at or order off of? Or... Uh, no, no, but my trunk is full of later cheese. So if you'll just wait here, I'll, I'll go Wait, 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 wait. you don't trunk. have a website? Why don't you just go to Wix.com? Wait, what's Wix.com? It's website creation without limits. They got 500 templates, the ability to add your own text, images, and videos without needing to know any code. Wix makes turning your dreams into reality a breeze. Wait, I can just make a website? Like, I can just do it myself? You sure can. With Wix's easy-to-use website builder, you can just drag and drop what you want on there, and everything automatically formats to desktop or mobile. Wow. Think of all the later cheese I could sell. Well, what are you waiting for? Get started now by going to Wix.com slash podcast. That's W-I-X dot com slash podcast to get 10% off. Wix.com slash podcast, you say? Latercheese.com, here I come. That's the spirit. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, Donald Trump stacked up 300 Egg McMuffins on a throne of diamonds last week and gave a speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. <laughs> and as usual, the vast majority of his sentences were either verifiably false or contradicted by something he'd said on a different day. But there was one big exception this time. Thanks to either his uh, motion picture reading level or otherwise, thanks to a Freudian slip with racist Tourette's, What's Trump told the crowd of religious people that he's yes. proud of them for all the great work they've done in the, quote, abolition of civil rights. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Keith, you are writing off just a brand new level of honesty. I mean, maybe he was just like, and now my new head of foreign affairs, Cobra Command. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so before we get into the first ever presidential honesty flub that I'm aware of. <laughs> Not um, the first one Lester Holt's aware of. <laughs> I'd say it's present. worth mentioning a couple other things that Trump said during his speech. For example, his very first order of business was to praise Second Lady Karen Pence for the amazing work she's doing by teaching art class two days a week at a school that's run by a Christian hate group known as uh, Christianity. In case you missed it, 
We're talking about Emmanuel Christian School, which has homophobia built into their curriculum, along with an official policy of refusing to hire anyone from the LGBT community, period. So naturally, Trump's very first bullet point in his speech was giving Karen Pence and Emmanuel Christian a round of applause. And he actually clapped himself for the round of applause he started with his hands inches from his mic oh God, because he's, he's a very that. stupid person. <laughs> All the goddamn time. All right, how about that international rape cabal that pretends to care about protecting children while systematically victimizing them, huh? Really give it up for those guys. I know it's going to sound like one right. clap. Everybody so blow their own microphone mic. for those guys, too. Well, yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah. No, like anybody can teach kids to draw for a few hours a week, but it takes a special kind of lady to do it with bigotry. I mean, but sans bigotry... Can you imagine that even being an applause point, right? Like, also, Mike Pence's wife, mother, got a job. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't hit her. Probably, he honestly probably thinks that's her name. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to the big highlight, which was obviously Trump falling ass backwards into bigoted honesty. <laughs> um, that's pretty much exactly what happened to his voting base on Election Day of 2016, too. So I guess it fits. Mm. So... According to his staff, here's the line he was supposed to read. Quote, many of our greatest strides from gaining our independence to abolition to civil rights to extending the vote for women have been led by people of faith and started in prayer. End quote. So, first of all, that's stupid. Uh, just about <laughs> everyone on all sides of every issue in U.S. history was religious and right. prayed sometimes. Yeah. But more importantly... Donald Trump thinks the North was the good guy in the Civil War, but only because they prayed better. That's why he thinks that is. It's like the uh, black people near Liam Neeson who prayed better. Uh, so either that or the president of the United States got confused by a fucking hyphen and wasn't capable of reading the sentence on the teleprompter that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was also mouthing to him like a stage mom from In the Wings. <laughs> and in Megan's chorus line news tonight. The Catholic Church actually got some good news this week, but it still involved raping kids. It it just didn't it just didn't involve them raping kids. So this story comes to us via a six month investigation by the Houston Chronicle and San Antonio Express News that identified 250 staffers and volunteers with Southern Baptist churches that have been charged with sex crimes in just the past ten years. Okay, and, and let me emphasize the word charged here. Right. Unlike the Catholic stuff, this investigation makes no effort to quantify how many were accused, let alone how many actual sex criminals there are here. Yeah, we should emphasize that when you combine the fact that about 46 out of a thousand rapists are arrested with systems churches especially have put in place to protect their staff, this number is way higher. Yeah. Yeah. Orders and, of magnitude uh, higher. Right. And if, if you're dealing with 100 rapists, like at a time... I guess we arrest four of them plus like a, a slave or something or a, <laughs> a rapey torso. It's a weird system. It's a very weird yeah. system we have. I don't make the rules, Heath. All right. So this story is part uh, one in a three-part expose, and it opens on the story of Debbie Vasquez, who was 14 years old when she was molested by her pastor. Four years later, the married pastor who was 12 years her senior would leave her pregnant so as an adult, she paid her way to the Southern Baptist Convention, where she urged Baptist leaders to adopt policies to help prevent the same thing from happening to other girls, to, at the very fucking least, adopt policies similar to the new and improved Catholic ones. 
They rejected every proposal she had. That was in 2008. So the papers went out to see what had happened since. Oh, oh, let me guess. Their cemetery maintenance costs went up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Right. Because they murdered Debbie Vasquez. <laughs> Different implication in my mind. But uh, but no, no, they interviewed her. for the thing. was much so, more moral, just to yeah, be clear. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yep, All right. So to nobody's surprise, the intervening decade was filled with pastors, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers and church volunteers raping children. It also describes perpetrators writing out the statute of limitations, church leaders sitting on their hands, and convicted sex offenders re-entering the Baptist workforce. I mean, for fuck's sake, the story highlights a registered sex offender who's still employed by a Baptist nonprofit that works with student organizations, and the name of the charity is Touching the Future Today, Inc. It's like what? he's waving his pedophile dick in our faces here. Just like, hey, uh, Bill, what do you think we should call our charity? New charity uh, name. How about uh, rapists and rapist protectors? Mm, it's uh, a little too subtle. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. show me on the dollar. <laughs> it's good. I like it, but it's vague. How about touching the future today. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. I like it. Nailed it. Absolutely. What you guys don't know is that show me on the dollar.com and rapist and rapist protectors.com are already like parked by the Catholic church. And look, <laughs> as bad as all of this is, and it'll get worse, no doubt when parts two and three come out, we should still also be clear on how little this exonerates the Vatican. Because okay, so I know a lot of Catholics are sharing this story as if to say, see, it happens everywhere. and You guys are just picking on us because this country's anti-Catholic. But here's what this story doesn't include. It doesn't include a sovereign city state investing billions of dollars in covering up the crimes and protecting the criminals from justice to this very day. Right. It doesn't include pedophile priests being sent to ever more vulnerable populations. It, it includes a lot of them moving on, but not like with a fucking system in place to make sure they go somewhere where it would be even harder for the kids to get help. Right. It doesn't include the guy in charge of dealing with these complaints, getting promoted to God's incarnation on Earth. Those are the most heinous aspects of the crime. And those belong to the Catholic Church alone. Also, uh, Catholics. Other people rape too is a weird flex that you should drop. Just <laughs> yeah, you should you <laughs> should already know something's wrong by the time you get there. And in herd impunity news tonight, ah, Washington, home state of my beautiful, talented wife, legal weed, and now the largest measles outbreak in decades. Yeah. All thanks to baby killing stupid people. What the fuck? Okay, you guys like dead babies so much? Now you get to smoke the whole bag. <laughs> Every anti-vaxxer has to smoke a bag of dead babies whenever we want. And I want that all the time. So it's Very a lot. Good. It's going to be a lot. Yeah, we should point out that this is baby killing stupid people all the way down and all the way up. Washington is one of the 17 states that allows nuh-uh as an acceptable reason for not protecting your, and more importantly, everyone else's kids from some of the most dangerous and deadly diseases in world history. And other diseases, just a fucking <laughs> panoply. A statement to which the anti-vaxxers' best possible recourse is, yeah, but only some of them. That's true. That is true. Well, Washington, <sighs> the state, may be getting ever so slightly less dumb this week. 
as there is legislation in the state house that would keep religious and medical exceptions, but get rid of the exception from I read a blog once. Okay, so they're keeping medical exemptions and also non-medical exemptions. Yeah, but they're getting rid of a third category that they believe exists. (laughs) Great work. Yeah, right. So the new proposal is, okay, you can still refuse out of stupidity, but your stupidity better have a special hat or something. (laughs) Sincere fucking hat. Yeah. Magic hat. Yeah. So as you can imagine, the ignorant baby killers of Washington State are not happy about this. And they had their very own uh, little bubonic protest (laughs) during a public hearing this past Friday with nearly 700 parents showing up to express their concern that they might not be able to refuse their children life-changing medicine based on their own ignorance. Well, unless they're willing to say the word religion out loud once (laughs) ever. Yeah, yeah, as as much, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well... Luckily for us, we've got the audio, but more importantly, our sound editor, Morgan, has run it through our brand new scathing atheist honesty filter. Morgan, fire that baby up. Okay, order, order. Uh, Chair recognizes bedraggled vegan looking woman whose eyes are way too wide. Hi, everyone. I, I have a mental illness that is untreated and it has really allowed me to fixate on information that that I know deep down is bad and untrue. But if I admit that to myself, I also have to admit that the center of my life is my kids and I am crying now. I'm clearly unstable. I need help. Whatever you do, don't listen to me. You should probably take my children away. Okay, great work. Thank you for that. Uh, Now the chair recognizes Farmer, who drove three hours to give his opinion on a medical issue. Yeah, uh, thanks. I lack education as well as an underlying ability to understand. But because of America's ideas about bootstrap culture and faux egalitarianism, nobody has ever told me that my feeble attempts at self-education is a, is a miserable failure. So instead, a series of ever more dishonest and evil people have convinced me my lack of understanding is, in fact, knowledge of a great and powerful secret. And I am here to demonstrate why democracy is a bad idea. Okay, that was absolutely terrible. Uh, now the chair recognizes... Oh, sorry, a, sorry, I have a, to do this. This is a rude thing that I have okay, to do. Okay. I also have a mental illness. Great, got it. And uh, finally, a person who knows what the fuck he's talking about is going to go last and try to condense several hundred years worth of scientific knowledge into a tweet-sized explanation for people who are actively dishonest about how open they are to his expertise. Uh, Thank you. Uh, This was a a terrible idea. We should not do this at all. I'm not a science communicator. I'm a scientist, which is a very different job than the one I'm being forced to do now i went to school and am in a very demonstrable way a smarter and an even better person than the people i'm being asked to pander to you should listen to me because i'm better than you uh please don't bring diseases from the middle ages back and while we send out a squire to patrol the moats for lepers we'll hand things over to my lovely wife lucid a man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It makes her a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Misogyny. 
let's face it. In today's fast-paced, interconnected world, it can be hard to find time to be the misogynist that God wants you to be. But luckily, there's an app for that. It's called Absure, and it was created by the Saudi Arabian government to help men track the women under their divinely dictated subjugation. Now, this is far from just a tracking app. It also gives men access to a woman's visa, national ID, traffic record, health records, and even allows the men to decide whether women can travel abroad and how long they can stay. It's kind of like a Swiss Army knife of misogyny. And as bad as that is, it's the kind of backward shit we've come to expect from the Saudi government, even under its new and improved ladies can drive reforms. But it's quite a bit less than we've come to expect from American tech companies like Apple and Google, both of which offer the app on their platforms. Well, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon is hoping to change that by shining a huge fucking light on it. He sent a letter to the CEOs of both companies asking them to remove the apps and to further prevent their technical infrastructure to be used for enabling, quote, abhorrent surveillance and control of women, end quote. At the time of this recording, neither company has responded except to say that they're looking into it. But I feel like if there's anybody out there that should be able to look into shit really fucking quick, it's Google. But of course, not every effort to make the lives of misogynists easier is high tech. Take, for example, the problem of boobs, particularly the way that women flaunt them around with all their jiggling and gyrations. I mean, maybe sometime the augmented reality will allow for an app that adds digital burkas to all of the women in your field of view. But until we reach that promised land, men will have to settle for tape. And no, the tape doesn't go over their eyes. That would be such a better story. But instead, I get to share the story of Sanford University, a Christian college in Alabama that sent out an important notice to the female students who intended to compete in a singing and dancing competition. They were told, I shit you not, to bind their fucking boobs so that nobody in the audience would see, quote, noticeable movement, end quote. And how, pray tell, does one bind their boobs? Well, don't worry, they were happy to offer up a few potential solutions, such as ace bandages, tape, or multiple bras. So yeah, apparently the college didn't even have the sense to deny this when it came out publicly. Hell, this statement even said that they did it so that, quote, none of the students were embarrassed or singled out by what the lights could show, end quote. You know, in case later in life they realize how shameful it was to have mobile boobs. Anyway, I've got a quick letter to pen to some of these singers and dancers on other things they can tightly wrap those ace bandages around. So I'm going to go ahead and hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines, we have a very special Valentine's Day message from the Liberty Council. In case anyone's not familiar, that's the hate group of Christian attorneys founded by Matt Staver, and they spend most of their time promoting legal action against anti-religious organizations like, you know, science and gay people. (laughs) Most recently, they made headlines for lobbying Congress to rethink its anti-lynching bill that would make the textbook example of a hate crime into a hate crime. Yep. Um, And this week, they've been promoting a fuckless Valentine's Day during which single people and gay people should not be having sex and ideally not be existing. Right. Liberty Council. Yeah. Here's how far I am from batshit Christian insanity. When I read the title of this article, I was like, how would a single person even have? Oh, they mean not married. (laughs) Yes. Right. Exactly. And and then you realize that like 
gay is a subset of single to them, right? It's, <laughs> it's like you have to unlock the stupid one word at a time. Words matter, guys. Words matter. So <laughs> uh, Liberty Council is calling this thing their Day of Purity. And they announced it with a video from their communications director, Holly Mead. So, uh, Holly Mead, picture Kim Davis without all those live teeth getting <laughs> yep. in the way. And according to Holly Mead, quote, the day of purity is an opportunity for young people to take a stand for uh, purity. I'm going to guess it's purity. What do you think she's going to say? <laughs> My uh, guess yep, it's purity. purity. It's purity. The day of purity is an opportunity for young people to take a stand for the word in the title <laughs> that I started that sentence with. In today's culture, students are bombarded with messages luring them to become sexually active at a young age and to experiment with their sexual preferences. But research confirms that practicing purity before marriage has spiritual, physical, emotional, and social benefits, end quote. Why are these people always such obvious closet cases? <laughs> experiment with their sexual preferences? Hey, you know who's tempted to be gay? gay people. Yep. And that's fine, but yep. that's who's tempted to be gay. That's pretty much the whole... I, I'm sorry, wait. They, let's back up. Did she just say that research had confirmed the spiritual benefits of something? <laughs> yeah, sounds like pretty fucking fancy research. <laughs> Got some Ghostbusters equipment, I guess, and then they graph purity along with spirit units and they look for a trend? Uh, I don't know. So, in response to the Day of Purity, we here at The Scathing Atheist are promoting a day of enormously prolific gay fucking <laughs> and, and non-married fucking and whatever kind of fucking you can think of that would anger these bigots. That's and, what that's, and that includes almost all the fucking. It does. Yeah, all it the does. fun yeah, fucking. Pretty much all of it. <laughs> and to whatever extent it's legal, you should be sending those videos to the Liberty Council. <laughs> and also Heath. Happy fucking Valentine's Day, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Right. Heath apparently forgot what our listeners look like, but go ahead, people. Send him, send him videos of you fucking okay. or you won't learn. Don't listen to Eli. I think you're lovely in your own way. <laughs> and finally tonight, in limp terroristed news tonight. You'll get that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. West Virginia legislator and mean cartoon of Kevin from The Office, Eric Porterfield, needed gay people to just let him explain this week. And it went as well as it has every single time a straight white guy has said that in the history of ever. Yeah. Uh, hey, straight white guys, everybody go ahead, bring it in. Take a knee. Quick PSA for you guys. Uh, friends don't let friends finish. When they say, let me finish. You don't, just don't <laughs> say any more words. Don't let your friends say any more words. You guys let Heath say more words all the time. I'm talking <laughs> to you guys on this record. You don't let anybody finish. Nope. Nope. That's true in so many ways. We're looking at so you, many. Louis C.K. So here's the story. Last week, a different Republican was trying to amend a bill to block cities from enacting anti-discrimination rules, which can be tricky. So Porterfield decided to help by calling the LGBTQ community a bunch of socialists and then quoting Milo Yiannopoulos' dangerous faggot tour during a committee meeting. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter if those are the lyrics to the rap song, buddy. You're still not allowed to <laughs> sing along to just that part. You got to do the rap. You got to do the rap. I've been doing this for years. 
You get right. Yeah. So obviously this didn't go over well. And rather than apologize for using a slur in the middle of a government <laughs> meeting, Porterfield doubled down, calling the LGBTQ community, quote, a modern day version of the Ku Klux Klan, end quote, and explained that they were a, quote, terrorist group who are persecuting him. Yep. End quote. Okay. Uh, I have questions. Um, First of all, does he think the modern day version of the KKK is not equal to itself? <laughs> when are they in his head? The That's confusing. Also, gay terrorists are persecuting me is by far my favorite excuse from a repressed gay bigot who got caught being gay. That's fantastic. Yeah, right. And after six years of doing this show, it's amazing how many of those excuses it has to compete with. We should have written them down. It's just a little bit of work. We'd have a big list now. That's on us. Anyways, not to worry. Uh, this is West Virginia. So unless he becomes a Democrat, nobody's going to call for him to step down. He will uh, continue to lead government in that state, even though he is possibly the least qualified person to do so. However, that does give Heath and I a business idea. Oh, Jesus. Not again. Morgan, hit the music. Hi. I'm Eli Bosnick. And I'm Heath Enright. You know, in today's environment, it can be hard for a white person to know what to do when you accidentally reveal that you're a giant bigot. And that's why here at The Scathing Atheist, we've combined a solution with white people's favorite activity, multi-week seminars. That's right. Introducing Shutting the Fuck Up, a 10-week course in mediating racial partisanship caused by misexpression. This 10-week intensive course will cover all the subjects white people need to keep up in today's fast-paced world. Like not volunteering stories about the time you went hunting for black people. And not volunteering stories about the times you wore blackface. And not covering up for proven racists and then pretending you never did when they talk about how awesome Hitler was and much, much more. We'll cover the three core tenets of shutting the fuck up. Shutting the fuck and up. So reserve your space today for just 12 easy payments of $345. Shut the fuck up. It's the right choice for white people. For a while. Still going. If you have to ask, still longer. Now. Nope. 10 minutes after the last guy asks. That's when. And then more. And on that note, We'll shut the fuck up. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, what? Lee Strobel will finally <laughs> shut the fuck up, too. Hi, I'm No Illusions. And when you run a small business like I do, you're used to dealing with new headaches every day, like equipment malfunctions. Noah, Noah, you're never going to believe what I got stuck in the printer. Office drama? Noah, you're not going to believe what part of his body Eli got stuck in the printer. <laughs> it's great. And unexpected lawsuits. And just to be perfectly clear, by printer, I mean the guy who's screen printing the shirts for the live show. Okay, but thanks to Stamps.com, there's a new headache you don't have to worry about, and that's rising postage rates. With Stamps.com, you save five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Plus, Stamps.com is completely online, which saves you time. 
Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and the printer. Or maybe somebody else's printer. Plus, Stamps.com automatically calculates and prints the exact amount of postage you need for every letter or package you send. You'll never need to overpay again. We use Stamps.com to send our merch for the show. And because it's so easy to use, I can manage it without committing any accidental crimes. I arrange everything online, and the post office comes to me. And right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. See for yourself why over 700,000 small businesses use Stamps.com, including ours. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in scathing. That's Stamps.com. Enter scathing. Help me. No. Okay. You heard him, Eric. (laughs) In November 2012, a 36-year-old Salvadoran fisherman named Salvador Alvarenga set off on a two-day fishing trip, but when a storm hit, he was swept out to sea and his radio disabled. He survived by eating fish, birds, turtles, and eventually the companion that didn't make it until he washed ashore in the Marshall Islands in January of 2014. When asked about his record 438 days lost at sea, he said to have summarized the harrowing experience in only seven words. Imagine reading Lee Strobel's case for Christ, but we made it, guys. <laughs> Here we are clear on the other side of the Pacific. And tonight we'll be summarizing the 15th and final chapter of the book. How excited are you? I am fucking excited. Atlas Shrugged. Here we come. Oh, no, 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 no. I quit the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, joining us in this celebration is my lovely wife, Lucinda. Lucinda, welcome back. This is Valentine's Day. This is what we're doing on Valentine's (laughs) Day. This is what we're recording it (laughs) on Tuesday night. Okay. So here we are. We finally reached the promised land. The conclusion, which he grandiosely dubs the verdict of history. What does the evidence establish and what does it mean today? All right. So we open up on November 8th, 1981. Lee had locked himself in his office because he was thinking about Jesus really hard. So when his wife knocked and he wouldn't let her in, that was the sound of him thinking really hard about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> I guess to me, this is where the saddest moment of the book comes. It's the part where he admits that it took him 21 months to write this. <laughs> <laughs> and OK, so this descends into a TLDR for the entire book, wherein he reminds us of what we read because he's expecting Christian levels of reading retention. But it actually works out well for us since it gives us an opportunity to summarize our criticisms and not have to revisit this book with the summary segment. So we're going to start the summary of chapter one. Can the biographies of Jesus be trusted? Can Mel Gibson's documentary be trusted? Yeah, How right. much passion was there, really? That's the question. The number of passions. He's not even posing a straw man here. He's got like a single piece of straw that he's pretending to wrestle like Jim Carrey and liar liar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then we revisit uh, chapter two here. Do the biographies of Jesus stand up to scrutiny? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Note to author. You get to say that Craig Blomberg argued X. I get to say if he did so convincingly. (laughs) That's how books work. Yeah. 
Even in his tiny little summary, he says, the way the Gospels line up is evidence of how true they are. Also, the way they fail to line up is evidence of that. (laughs) Yep. The way they agree and contradict is evidence (laughs) that they're true. Gospels get a nice, inconspicuous B minus in accuracy. So, you know, A plus in accuracy is what I mean. I guess. But then we pop out of the New Testament for a paragraph to ask once more, is there credible evidence for Jesus outside his biographies? And okay, this opens with the weirdest hurdle to brag about Jesus clearing. Okay, he quotes one of his interviewees as saying, we have better historical documentation for Jesus than the founder of any other ancient religion. (laughs) As though that were the bar we typically use to determine credibility. Right. Well, you don't have a signed contract per se, but the claim that he owes you four thousand dollars is better evidence than the life and times of Zoroaster. So I guess <laughs> this was the argument from height. Right. This is yeah. Like, yeah. Right, well, I'm going to stack up four thousand one dollar bills and you stack up all the money with Zoroaster on the front. Okay. <laughs> Great. We got our piles. You owe me like three grand. That's seriously the argument in this entire chapter. Jesus is God by several feet in terms of book height over other <laughs> Well, the better question, does this mean that according to Lee Strobel, there was a turning point at which Christianity started being true? <laughs> like there must have been a book that tipped the scales like Zoroaster had a tie. They were equally true. <laughs> now Christianity is right. true. If you believe really hard. And okay, in a grim reminder that we were nearly a third of the way through this book before we considered our first piece of physical evidence, we revisit the chapter titled, Does Archaeology Confirm or Contradict Jesus's Biographies? Okay, now I'm just curious which archaeological discoveries did not contradict the Bible. Yeah, right. What would not exactly. Trying to find some dirt that isn't 6,000 years old yeah, to right. touch with your shovel. <laughs> uh, Need some new do, do we, we compost? Volcanoes? If I could dig just in the compost <laughs> from this month, and then he fires up our nose streak again with the summary of the chapter titled "Is the Jesus of History the Same as the Jesus of Faith?" Hell, Jesus of the Faith isn't the same as Jesus of Faith, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> well, and this is where he honestly argues that you can't trust atheists because they start from the assumption that miracles aren't real. His argument is literally. Look, if you force us to start from reality, it's impossible to argue our side. That's a defense of his religion. Okay, so now we revisit the question, was Jesus really convinced that he was the son of God? And I feel like if this chapter doesn't start with a list of other people who were convinced they were the son of God, it's trying to hide something, right? And no, it does not start with one. It I would not. love to red pen this thing for him. <laughs> um, and then we get the chapter title that wins my most tautological question anyone ever got mm-hmm. wrong award. <laughs> Was Jesus crazy when he claimed to be the son of God? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. And this is where he reminds us that a real psychologist proved that Jesus not only wasn't crazy, but was the sanest person in the history of mm-hmm. sanity. <laughs> like Trump. All right. You stack up your doctor's notes that say Zoroaster was sane. (laughs) Oh, you don't have one? That's what I thought. Jesus wins by one sanity unit. Suck it. Infinity percent. Infinity. (laughs) And one of the pieces of evidence the psychologist used to get there, by the way, was that Jesus had no, quote, 
inappropriate emotions, end quote. Yeah, this is a guy who screamed himself hoarse at an out-of-season fig tree. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, did you just spit in that blind guy's eye? Well, yeah, yeah, but I did it very calmly. It was appropriate. (laughs) The son of God. Jesus is calm. He's calmer than you are. (laughs) (laughs) He also adds, and this is why we love him, that crazy people can't do miracles. Yes. Okay. This is just proof. (laughs) Interesting. This is just proof that Lee Strobel has never gotten oral sex from a girl with a nose ring. Otherwise, (laughs) he wouldn't have put that. I'm just saying. So somehow he manages to get this nonsensical question wrongest of all. He says, okay, so was Jesus omnipresent or did he exist in only a single location at a time? Omnipresent, exactly. Was he immutable or did he start out as a baby and wind up as an adult? Immutable, exactly. Okay, he wasn't immutable, but he had... Uh, immutability. Yes, right. <laughs> he, he chose to occupy the time dimension every so yes. often. <laughs> always. Oh, yeah, it's always. <laughs> but see, that's what I love about these chapter summaries. They have to concentrate the crazy. Like he got to spread it out over whole chapters earlier. These are the Tinder bios of apologists. Yes, right. yes. Not letting my father's death slow me down from living my best life. Maloha. Well, then we ask the question that seems crazy amounts of unnecessary if you actually think you've convincingly demonstrated that Jesus has the attributes of a God. Was Jesus's death a sham and his resurrection a hoax? Hmm. <laughs> the, the answers from Lee Strobel were no, not a sham on the first part. End of chapter. <laughs> the question was in and form, so the second part was already done. It's just, yeah. just, uh, we're set. Yeah, and it's just another argument disproved by the existence of Eli. Oh, really, Lee, nobody would intentionally get themselves crucified as part of a prank war? I beg yeah. to differ, sir. <laughs> okay, but you guys got to admit, Andrew's face was priceless. Wasn't it? Right? <laughs> no, it really was. Come on. Poor guy. He was it's always so priceless. And after that, we revisit chapter 12. Was Jesus's body really absent from his tomb? No. And this is where we learned that William Lane Craig's evidence wasn't just convincing. It was striking. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. The evidence was sultry. <laughs> <laughs> the evidence was full of unbridled enthusiasm. What the fuck? he think a thesaurus does? What is, where does he come up with this stuff? Based on how he writes, I, I think he thinks that thesaurus hunts other dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> then it's time to dig back into the question, was Jesus seen alive after his death on the cross? And he even repeats the asinine quote, the appearance of Jesus are as well authenticated as anything in antiquity. <gasps> anything in antiquity. When I typed that in the notes, the paperclip asked me if I meant something true. (laughs) There's a brown squiggly under. I've never gotten the brown squiggly. What? All right. So let's put this in language that Lee Strobel can understand. I'm going to stack up these physical objects from antiquity Mm -hmm. and... And you stack up your resurrected Jesus. <laughs> did I win? Are we done? You see, see, he, what you're missing is that the truest things get truer over time. Ah. <laughs> like the way I get hotter, the farther away from me you are. <laughs> 
Um, but just because we're done with the summary doesn't mean we're done with the chapter or, or even that we're halfway fucking through it. So then we move on to a subheading that seems to somehow presage the Trump administration. It's called Failing Mueller's Challenge. Yeah, and this part opens with Lee candidly admitting that he was shocked by how convincing he was being right now. Literally. <laughs> he actually uses the word ambushed. He was ambushed by himself. Yes. Amazing notes. <laughs> yes. Well, and he admits here that he really wanted Jesus to turn out to be a myth because it would be so, quote, safe and reassuring, end yeah. quote. Because she... You know how reassuring it is to think about the eternal, unthinking darkness of the other side of death? Yeah, he longed for that. About like I do since I've read this book. Yeah, there's no such thing as secular bias on right. this. Like, no. we want your stupid thing to be true. You, you do whatever you want your whole life. You pillage, you plunder, you steal. You're, you're about to die. And you say, I accept Jesus really quick. And you go to heaven. That would be fucking great. Who wouldn't want that to be true? But, you know, you guys also caused the... Abolition of civil rights, as we learned this week from the President of the United States. So we have to yell at you. Hurts us more than it hurts you. No, it doesn't. But, you know, still stop. Well, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. The people it hurts in order is the kids you fuck, uh, gays, women, uh, racial minorities, people who pay taxes, you, us. Yeah. As we ranked them earlier. <laughs> and, and he offers up such patently absurd justification as the clincher for him. He says... According to famous historian so-and-so, it takes two full generations for myths to develop. Which it was probably a much easier sell in a pre-9-11 world, but also the earliest records we have are from two full generations after Jesus' death. <laughs> well, and to bolster the earliness claim, he offers up one disputed papyrus fragment and the claim that the Gospel of Mark was based on an even earlier work that could be super early. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a piece of blank papyrus that shows the resurrected body. Yeah. They drew what was in his tomb here, obviously. Christ is God. Look, look I know it, this isn't how it works because Lee Strobel's a lying liar, but you guys ever wonder what Lee Strobel thinks is the most true? Is it cave paintings? I bet it's cave paintings. I read his book. He's trying to stack up caves. This is fucking yes. difficult. <laughs> but they're going to be huge, though. You can tell. <laughs> and and that's what the titular Mueller's challenge is, by the way. So a historian in 1844 challenged people to find a single example of myths accruing within a few years of an event. And nobody could do it. Now, within a few years is a bullshit standard, since the earliest thing we have is at least 20 years after Christ's death. And the earliest thing that mentions all the mythological shit is even newer. But... Even by that bullshit standard, 9-11 truthers still disprove this argument. Right. right. And even if you define myth as supernatural, you still have the miracle of the sun. Or some wings of 9-11 truthers. Right. Right. And if you define it specifically divinely, you have the miracles of Sai Baba. So. Yeah. And some 9-11 truthers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what you definitely do not have is the truth. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So then he checks his work. He asks in one subheading if his collection of the evidence has been sufficiently thorough. And the words that immediately follow the bolded question are, I shit you not, quote, yes, it has been. And <laughs> Confidence. Confidence is so important. He's literally writing this just like, should I keep writing about? You know what? I'm going to stop myself right there. Stop. Selling, I am buying my book right now. Yeah, yeah. Right. Lee Strobel, have these $20. Thank you, Lee Strobel. Thank you for those $20. <laughs> this is all in the book. 
Now, and now that we're all convinced Jesus is the unique son of God, or stupid, what <laughs> should we do with that information? Why, Lee's compiled a quick list for us here, so. Yeah, but even in his list, he's going further than his own bullshit evidence takes him. He's like, you know, he keeps saying stuff like, if Jesus conquered death, well, then obviously he can open the door of eternal life for me, too. But that doesn't even follow. Again, even if we grant your dumb shit, I could produce a solid defecation. That doesn't mean I can impart that ability onto Eli. But... Again, you got to admit, Andrew's face was priceless was. and worth it. it yes. So scared. Eli gets hotter as you get further away. <laughs> running, running with his little legs. It's like a you nine iron. It's yeah. Good from about 100 yards. Yeah. <laughs> but Lee is still not done rambling here. So we get yet another subheading to teach us how to be Christian titled The Formula of Faith. Yes, this book literally has a goddamn altar call. Yeah, and he gives up this path to the Jesusness in three easy steps, starting with one, believe. Yep, yep. Step one is just accept this shit and quit with all the damn thinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just believe it. <laughs> step two, don't make lists of steps. Um, <laughs> step three, are you still reading this? What? <laughs> what step four, say? put your dick in the box. Wait, sorry. sorry. <laughs> different, different list. What's in the box? All right. Then the, we get to the actual step two, which is receive. Because the way this works is that you have to believe it's real before it'll do anything. And if it doesn't do anything, you're just not believing hard enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's and, and this starts with a weird gripe about how, how all the other religions make you do stuff. Right? You just envision, like, Lee fumbling a prayer wheel and a yarmulke going around like that. There has to be a better way. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to do nunchuck moves with tefillin. Just like, ow, my eye. My eye. Hit myself again. Okay, that probably really happened. <laughs> And finally, we get step three, which fucks up the rhyme scheme here. Become. <laughs> this section was definitely called like sleeve for a while. <laughs> you, need, you need to become the arm of God. No. Believe, receive, ah. cleave. And this is where he points out how much better a person he is than he used to be. Yep. And by implication, how much better Christians are than non-Christians. Just, you know, better humans all around. Right. Apparently. Deceive. Fuck. Fuck. That would have been perfect. Damn it. I kind of nailed my last few sentences, though. I'm sticking with become, but that would have been perfect. Damn it. Um, there's also a brief moment of self-awareness where he's going like, uh, I guess that might sound like a load of shit to you. It would have sounded like a load of shit to me if I weren't already this religion, but I am. And if you made it this far in this stupid fucking book, you probably are too. So what the hell? I can admit it. James McAvoy turns to the camera. What the fuck are you going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> but then Lee magnanimously invites us to think for ourselves in a subheading titled Reaching Your Own Verdict. But just don't, oh, just don't, you know, draw a conclusion based on the flimsy evidence let's he's offered up mind you he's got a particular way that he wants you to reach that verdict right, <laughs> right. Well, well yeah he says if i've convinced you be a christian if i haven't convinced you read better books and then be a Christian. right yeah right keep <laughs> studying yes <laughs> And and in this conclusion chapter, Lee did us the favor of leaving out the deliberation questions, but it's kind of become a tradition. So I wrote a few of my own to polish this book off once and for all. So question one, 
What was the least convincing argument that Lee offered up? Ooh, God, tough one. I'm going to go with historicity according to height. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, cities moved around a lot back then. Uh, I, yeah, I still can't one. get over the idea of a fidgety city exasperating its mom in the car or something. <laughs> Will you sit still? Not touching. Can't get mad. You're a city. This Maybe is weird. pull over. Um, all right. Uh, least convincing argument from Lee Strobel. I'm going with giant contradictions in the Bible don't count because the order of words in Greek don't matter. Greek didn't go from left to right or top to bottom. You're supposed to read it like a word cloud and clouds are never wrong. That's an argument we got. Yep. All right. Question two. What argument against his religion that he left out was the most glaring omission? Uh, that would be the argument from Donald Trump. Hey, oh, nice yeah, one. Yeah. The existence of Mormonism. That would have fucked a lot of it up. Mm-hmm. All right. How about the fact that if we accept his epistemology, we also have to believe that Darius the Great won his crown by killing a sorcerer, pretending to be the rightful king, and then jacking off a horse. Yeah. You read weird books. Can I give you that <laughs> feedback? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with the argument from raving atheist aliens. (laughs) All right. And finally, question three, the question that really matters. Are you a Christian now? Well, see, as the only married woman on the panel here, I get to duck this one. Because if I was a Christian, I need my husband to tell me what my opinion was to begin with. Oh, right. No, good one. Good one. Pass. Um, okay, well, I've got a tweet scheduled for the day before I die, so not yet. Aquinas. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, now I'm not again. It was fun, though. There right, was, I that was, was you forgiven for a moment. Yeah. It was great. Hold on. Okay, let me take a look at Lee, no, Lee's numbers here again. Over 5 million copies sold. Another 13 books in the Case 4 collection. Damn temptingly, I gotta say. It's damn (laughs) tempting to be convinced. But no, still an atheist, but maybe we'll still hit the big time and get picked up by YouTube or something. Until then, (laughs) we're gonna thank Lee for finally shutting the fuck up. We're gonna thank you for listening along, and we're gonna close this book for the last fucking time. Yes. Delete, delete, delete. Yeah. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have my oven preheated to 451 degrees. Before we lock Eli back in his cage for the night, I want to remind you one more time that you can come see us live in Denver on March 9th. But if you want VIP tickets or you want to come to the Platinum Night, you need to get that shit quick. They are both almost sold out. We'll have links on the show notes for more information. Anyway, that's all the blast movie we've got for you tonight. But we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptic Heart, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern time on Monday. An even newer episode of our sister show's Hot Friend God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. And an even newer episode of our half sister show, Citation Needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, this podcast would be like an aborted masturbation if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for always being there for me when I need him. I need to thank the lovely Lucinda Lusions for always needing me when I'm there. And I need to thank the lovely in his own way, Eli Bosnick, for always being elsewhere when I need him to be. Also need to thank Beavis and Butthead for providing this week's Farnsworth quote and Rob for facilitating that introduction. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's best people, Melanie, Joshua, Emily, Julianne, David, Toxtath, Madison, Stephen, and Andrew. Melanie, Joshua, and Emily, who are so classy, their kick-ass has to be on 
corked. Julianne, David, and Toxteth, whose intellects were granted a formal exception to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, and Madison, Stephen, and Andrew, who could make a glory hole out of an Einstein ring. Together, these nine noble non-believers who necessitate neology to naturally name their notorious new blessings nudged our net worth northward this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the delicious genitalia it takes to give us money, but if you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash atheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, Tim Robertson handles our social media, and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. Edible arrangements are amazing. That's what? The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.